This morning we're picking back up in, I was going to say Genesis, we're in Revelation chapter 6 and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 8 and we're going to cover those verses today. The title of today's message for Revelation 6, 1 through 8 is Come and See, Come and See. And uh, if you're listening online and it's within the first week of posting, check out the songs we did for worship this week. They always seem to uh, have a way of lining up. And I think just the way the Spirit works, they just, I feel like they always lead us into a good place for our study today. But if we remember Revelation, this was uh, John on the island of Patmos, and Jesus revealed himself to John. That it's not just Re- Revelation of the end times, which is what we'll see, but it's truly a revelation of Jesus and who he is. That he is God. He is all-powerful. Uh, he came as meek, but he's coming back with a sword. We see him, we see heaven, and we see the end of the world from the perspective of heaven, where we can truly understand the things that are going on around us. And I think today, uh, I pray we'll have some more insight into those. But the problem in the world today is that people don't understand what's going on around them. And they don't understand because they don't have a heavenly perspective. When you and I as believers come to the word and seek the Lord and he gives us wisdom by his word and by his spirit, all of a sudden the things that don't make sense to anyone else begin to make sense to us. But we look at him, heaven, the end, and eternity future. Revelation reveals all of these things, not just where we are, what's going to happen, but where we're going to be forever. We get a great picture of heaven that if the Lord doesn't return and the world doesn't blow up, We'll get to the end of Revelation and uh, cover those things together. But as we see, as we will see, uh, one of the creatures proclaims, come and see, over and over again in this chapter. And I believe Revelation is that invitation to come and see. It's from God. It's unlike the other books in many ways. It's similar to prophetic books in uh, many ways because it is a prophetic book. But it gives us that invite to come and see what will take place. Something that nobody else has or can offer or does offer this sort of insight into the future, into what will happen. Many people have an idea of what will happen. They make predictions. Some come true, some don't. But everything that this book says will happen and must happen because it's the Word. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, These are absolutely, I'm sorry, he didn't say that. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But these are Jesus' words, that this word of the Bible will come to pass, every last bit of it. Previously, we saw John on the island of Patmos. Jesus revealed to him in glory the message to the seven churches. Uh, the seven spirits of God, the creatures, the 24 elders. Uh, We saw this scroll that was written on both sides, and it was sealed seven times. That no one uh, in heaven above, on earth, or beneath the earth could open this scroll. And remember that John wept over this. That it was heartbreaking to him that no one could do this. That he couldn't see what was inside of it. That it was so important to John that he saw these things come to pass. But remember, one of the elders leaned down to him and said, John, don't worry. There is one who's worthy. 
It's Jesus. And we saw that this lamb appeared in the midst of the throne. The lamb appeared to be slain. He had seven horns and seven eyes. The seven spirits of God, the symbol of perfection, of power, and of vision. And he could open the scroll. He alone was worthy. It wasn't about strength, remember. There was that mighty angel, and he couldn't open it. And no one else can open it because it was about worth. And Jesus was worthy. Remember that we subtitled the message, Who is Worthy? Because only Jesus could open them. That when these scroll, when this scroll and these seals would be opened, things were about to be unleashed, which we're going to start to look at today. That man, if you're not worthy to allow these things to happen, they would be unjust. They would be awful in the sense of how could a loving God allow these things to happen? But the thing is, Jesus is worthy to let these things happen, to cause them to happen, to break the seals and let the floodgates of heaven and hell loose. And it'd still be loving, it'd still be just, and it'd still be holy. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? Jesus says, be angry and do not sin. I couldn't open these seals this way. I, would, I am in no wise worthy to call down judgment on other people. Now I can judge between right and wrong, and judge in the sense of uh, expounding on that to someone, but I'm not to say that they have no hope, and while they're breathing, there's still hope for them to come to repentance. Um, and Jesus would do the same thing, and that's the whole point of what we're going to see in these judgments coming. is not that the world would be destroyed. It will be. Not that sin would be eradicated. It will be, but that people might repent, that there would be a last chance effort. They haven't listened to anything else, so force is the only option. And it's not that God wants to make them worship him. He intends for them to because it's good for us. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish or to die in the fires of hell for eternity. That's awful. He's saving them from that to reward them with a life with him. Because he was judged for our sin. And so he's the only one who's worthy to unleash judgment on sin. Remember that this is God's final wake-up call for all of humanity. The angels made their choice when they fell. They're condemned forever. They have no option. We have a choice. We have free will. So we're going to see that at this point there will be seven years left on earth before uh, Jesus' return. We know there's a millennial kingdom, which we'll get to at that point. But there's seven years of judgment that come. And this is going to be the worst seven years the earth will ever see. We think 2020 in the first six months has been one of the worst years ever. It's not. There's been other bad years, but it's only going to get worse. If you read Daniel chapter 11, we see that there's three and a half years uh, from the rapture of the abomination of desolation, three and a half years from then until Jesus returns. So there's a clear middle point. Um, there's a clear beginning and a clear uh, end. Uh, I have a chart here. So if you're listening online, you can go to the website, resurrectionmontana.org, and download to look at it. Uh, but there's seals, there's trumpets, and there are bold judgments. And we're uh, opening the seals today. Uh, again, these are, in a sense, not necessarily in consecutive order from seals, trumpets, and bold judgments. I believe there's some overlap. In fact, uh, the trumpets kind of fit all into the seventh seal. The bowls all kind of fit into the seventh trumpet. So uh, spiritually, we're given a linear fashion here, but the way they play out don't necessarily work that way. Um, and today we're going to look at the, uh, what's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And those are the four, uh, first four uh, seals. And there's a chart here if you want to look at it later. And again, I encourage you, if you're listening online, uh, look up Chuck Missler, Koinonia House on YouTube. 
he does some real great studies into revelation and the prophecy. Uh, you know, you'll get real heady in it, and it's awesome. Uh, but we're, we're not going to go that deep today, but hopefully uh, we'll get some insight and learn and hopefully have our spiritual perspective uh, aligned. Uh, because, in a sense, I'm excited about Revelation. I'm not excited for the judgment to come, uh, especially as I begin to see it getting closer and closer. Uh, but Revelation is very special to me. Uh, you know, growing up in a Christian home, um, uh, going out to Christian school as a kid, even though I began to walk away from the Lord uh, as a, a, a preteen. Uh, in eighth grade, uh, we studied Revelation, and I remember being so uh, enraptured by it, so to speak. And God would use that in my life as I walked away from him. And as things like September 11th happened and I began to see things in the world uh, happening that reminded me a lot of Revelation. And uh, I read the Left Behind books that a friend got for me. I got a Bible and started reading Revelation. That's what God used to bring me back to him by his spirit. It was all these things and showing that these things are about to take place. And so I enjoyed Revelation. I hope you will as well. But again... Remember, please, as we read this, as you study it, as you get in it, as you go into the world and share, that the intent of this book, the entire Bible, uh, but Revelation 2, is for repentance to life. God wants everyone to live that here. This word brings life, not death. So we'll see other, uh, a false king brings death. But that is to bring repentance to life to avoid judgment and death. And God, this morning, we thank you for your word, that your word is life, that you are life. That, God, we can read it and be given life like nothing else, our daily bread, that we can eat it and be nourished by it. So nourish us as we study your word uh, this morning, we ask. And God, may you uh, send us forth and send your word out that it wouldn't return void, that others would hear it and come to life by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation chapter 6, and let's read the first two verses here together. It says, Now I saw, that's John speaking, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So we see this first seal, this is the first of seven seals, that this is the conqueror. This is the Antichrist that we hear so much about and understand so little about and so much misinformation about and people mock and make fun of. But we see that there's four living creatures. If we remember in Revelation chapter 4, before the throne, there's a sea of glass. There's these four uh, living creatures that worship God day and night. They have eyes in front of the back. One is like a lion. He's not actually a lion, but looks like a lion. One looks like a calf, one has the face of a man, and one has a flying eagle. So I don't know who, which one says it, but they have a loud voice like thunder. Have you ever heard of a thunderstorm or a lightning bolt strike real close to you? It makes you jump. It stops your heart. You get, oh. And his voice, it wasn't thunder, but it was loud like thunder. And imagine this, come and see. Just like we saw before, who is worthy? The angel proclaimed in a loud voice, come and see. Man, can you imagine? You're already in heaven. This voice that shakes you. This is not something to be missed. That what this angel is saying, come and see. And a loud voice is of utmost importance. That we're given an insight here into the future. It's eternity present. 
John was able to see there, it's for our future, but from eternity's perspective, it's happening. He almost jumped through time. They're not doing a dress rehearsal for John. He's seeing it actually happen. These things that are actually happening in the future. And we're to tremble at their thought. We're given a window here that's not to be joked around with. Not to be messed with. Yeah, we can have fun with it. We can study it with it. We can keep it on our minds. But sincerely, this is serious stuff. Deals with judgment. And he says, come and see. And this is the start of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I think that uh, many people have heard of them. It's become almost uh, a cultural term, a pop culture thing in these four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, but people don't know the reality of it. They don't know what they are, what they mean, um, and let alone what it spells for them uh, if they're around when these happen. Uh, now, again, um, I don't think that there's an actual horse that goes out walking on the earth that you'll see physically with your eyes, but we're given a, a thing uh, in the spiritual realm, like we see in other parts of scriptures uh, when the prophet uh, sees the angels, but no one else can see the angels. It's the same thing. In the spiritual realm, there is a horse that's going forth, the rider, but on earth, we see a physical manifestation of that. And this white horse, is a, a horse is a symbol of power, of authority. Uh, kings would ride horses when conquering. It's still a noble thing to see uh, someone on a horse and riding. We love seeing all the horses out here. Uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll have one, but at this point, I don't have a feel for one. Uh, but kings would ride them. And remember, Jesus rode a donkey on the triumphal entry, and it wasn't because he couldn't afford a horse. He got the donkey for free. It was because he was showing that he was coming in peace. That riding a donkey means he was coming in peace. But when he comes back, what is Jesus riding? A horse. Because he's coming as a king to conquer during war. And that's what this person is doing. They're riding on a horse. And uh, what war, when Jesus comes back, war is going to be against this man and all of his followers. And we'll see how that goes. And I'll give you a hint. It'll be quick um, and bloody. <laughs> Uh, but this guy is the Antichrist, the famed Antichrist. The word anti means instead of or before. That this person, and there are many types of Antichrist. I believe Hitler was a type of Antichrist. Um, I believe any kind of world leader who tries to seek power like this is a type of Antichrist. Um, and Satan certainly tries to use them. But they're, they're not the final Antichrist yet, the one who actually... Uh, is here uh, when the seal is broken. But the enemy's been trying to do that since the beginning, trying to wipe out God's people with Herod and all these other guys uh, throughout history. Uh, but he's instead of Jesus. And it's interesting, it says he has a bow, that there's no arrows mentioned, but he has this symbol of authority, this weapon with him. Uh, but he doesn't take his throne initially by force. It says that he's given a crown to him. And this crown is uh, even one... I. Uh, I forgot to look it up this morning, but before I remember uh, uh, from the past is that this is a type of crown that's on him. Uh, there's different types of crowns, but it's almost like it's given to him. It's awarded to him. Um, and he gets it here. Uh, in a sense, he's almost reluctantly pushed to power. We've seen other people come up the ranks politically, and you wonder, uh, where have they come from? Why are they, uh, you know, they seemingly came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they're the president or they're in office. Um, And this man, same sort of thing happens. Maybe he was in politics. Maybe he 
was offering up uh, things on a, a non-political scale. Maybe he was in business or in some other avenue, but he ascends to power. He ascends to an office that no man has ascended to uh, before. Uh, and he's, you know, almost like when Caesar, when they handed over the reins of the kingdom to Caesar, he did it reluctantly. He says, I'll give it back. But Caesar never gave that power back. And man, if we don't know history, we are doomed to repeat it. Uh, we'll see later that there are divisions and infighting among the final world kingdoms. Uh, if you read Daniel and Ezekiel, you see some of that as well. Uh, so it's not like this perfect utopia. He wants to bring a utopia. He promises a utopia, but we'll see that the way it plays out is anything but uh, world peace. Uh, but this man is in charge at least of the West of Europe, and he dominates the world. So if you see this happen, and we read uh, and study elsewhere, you have to kind of wonder what happens to America, that uh, you know, America, America is sort of the world power now, but that's not going to be the final world power. And you see the way China and Russia and Iran are, and, and you know, there's whole other studies on that. But um, something's going to put America on the back burner, and I believe we're witnessing that uh, unfold even today. But the, he goes out conquering and to conquer. So as part of his rule and reign, he's trying to unite the world and conquer the world. We see guys in the past do that. Hitler, Alexander the Great. Also, you know, you can name anybody from the beginning of time, Nimrod, trying to amass world power of the entire earth. Uh, but he comes on the world stage at a time of great turmoil, confusion, and trouble. Remember, the church is in heaven, and I believe the church has been raptured at this point, and the world's already in chaos. God raptures the church out of it, and now uh, millions, potentially millions of people have disappeared. You know, what are they going to blame it on? They're going to blame it on aliens. They're going to blame it on, you know, oh, earth is cleansing of itself of, you know, these people who wanted nothing to do with the way of progress. Or they're just going to be afraid and wonder, where did all our kids go? You know, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But think about the turmoil we're in now, let alone when that sort of thing happens. And talk about the deception that's going to come on the earth at that time when the Holy Spirit removes his direct influence, removes the church, and truth isn't being preached anymore. We'll see that angels come in the, in the heavens and preach. But my point is that, man, the answer is going to be so deceptive. And people are going to fall hook, line, and sinker for it. In fact, they're going to beg for the, the, the lies to be their answer. And so he comes on the scene at this time, uh, perhaps immediately after rapture, when the world is confused by what has happened and claims to have all the, and he claims to have all the answers. People claim to have all the answers all the time. And just look at political things. They become like cultic worship um, on all sides. And this man, he unifies a world that's divided. He gives them the leadership they so desperately want. But man, he's an imposter. The leadership that they desperately need is Jesus. But they've rejected him for 2,000 years. So they accept this man's false moral leadership. The whole world, as the Bible says, is under the sway of the wicked one. And so we see even today all these cultures and nations clamoring for the same thing. And you go, that's because it's something spiritual. There's a spiritual deception that's drawing all men, that's setting the stage for this one world government. He has all the answers. Perhaps he has all the charisma. Jesus came and said that we'd hardly recognize him. said that he looked like a normal guy. All the disciples were fishermen. But this guy, no matter what state of life he came from, people look at him and go, this is the type of leader we want. He looks like a leader. He smells like a leader. He sounds like a leader. And he promises to meet all of our needs. He appears to be perfect. Remember, he's an imposter. He's, he's trying to take the place of Jesus 
on the throne, and eventually he will. He'll step into the Holy of Holies and claim to be God at some point. I believe that, uh, I don't know if he's possessed by Satan at this point, or I, I believe it's later. There's, we'll get into it later, but there's like a false, um, false death and resurrection that he does. This is the unholy trinity, as we're going to see. But 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That this guy is going to appear perfect. He's going to be everything to all people that what they want, but without God. And isn't this the type of leader that our world is crying out for now? Our world doesn't want the righteousness of God. It says it's evil, it's bigoted, it's all sorts of things. They want someone to unify the whole world. No borders, one world. Pay everyone something, give everyone universal basic income. Take charge and enforce our new woke morality. And give us peace and security. Now, I won't read it for time, but read all of 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11. through 11. Verse 3 says, For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now when people are proclaiming that they've got peace and safety or they want peace and safety or they expect the government to give them peace and safety, watch out. Bad things are about to happen. Again, for homework, read Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Daniel 10 and 11. I'm going to read Daniel 11, 37. It says, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. That this describes what this person is going to be like. Maybe he comes out of a Judeo-Christian land. He isn't married. He doesn't desire women. What, is, what could that mean? Look at, the interesting, look at the times we live in and the things that we applaud. The month that we're in right now, June. they got a whole month. Pride month. And all the things that have sprung out of this in the past 30 years, far more perversion. And this man will go right along with it, if not practice it himself. And he seems exactly like the type of leader our world will exalt in the coming days and years. Let's go on to verse 3 and 4, the second seal. It says, When he, as the Lamb in heaven, Jesus, opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So the second seal, we see more war, global war, and violence between everybody on earth. And it's interesting that a war comes after a world leader comes to rule. Perhaps there will be different wars. Perhaps there will be World War III before all this happens and kind of sets up the stage a little differently. I don't know, but it's interesting that there's still war after this world leader of peace comes on the stage. He promises peace. He promises unity. He conquers and conquers and tries to grab everyone into one system. And war, like nothing else, breaks out afterwards. I think about history again. Again, it behoove us to be study history even in the slightest. And it's interesting that we're trying to rewrite history all the time and forget that. And that's what all these dictatorships do. They rewrite history that you might forget what it was like during the good years before them. And you might forget and not know what they're going to be like when you look at other evil dictators. If you look at communist takeovers, Soviet Russia, Iran isn't communist, but they were taken over by a religious fact of Muslims. North Korea, Cuba, 
etc. Even in Cuba, all the he was supposed to be for the people. He was put in charge by the people. Then what happened after he took over Castro? He killed all the opposition. He even killed the people who helped him take, take power because he didn't want them to be able to remove him from power. And this happens time and time again. They take this power by force and then they turn and kill any opposition. Uh, Stalin murdered millions of people. Hitler, Germany was in toiler. Hitler promised all the answers, unification under their you know, foolishness of uh, being superior. Murdered millions of people, even his own people. Anyone who didn't go along with their plan, wiped out. And what do we see? Cries, even in the political spectrum in our country today. Get the guillotines. Re-educate the conservatives. You don't think that that's going to happen here if we let it? It absolutely will. And this peaceful leader will enforce his false peace with death. Eventually, anyone who opposes him will be killed on the spot. Followers must take the mark. We'll talk about that again at the other time. Eventually, we'll see in the fiscal, Christians are going to be martyred left and right because they oppose this one world government. So we can't, it's not even necessarily that they violently oppose it, they just won't go along with it. Like, I can't be a part of something that's so wicked. I can't go against the things that God says is right. And this rider on the red horse, the spiritual horse, the spiritual rider, is given a sword. He's fiery red, war, explosions, blood violence and his job is to take peace from the earth he takes peace from the earth peace not going to happen stolen john 10 10 the thief does not come except to steal kill and destroy and i have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly jesus says jesus says look that the thief wants to steal everything but i'm going to give you peace i'm going to give you life and these things are direct spiritual things happening on earth I think a lot of times spiritual things are hidden behind the cloak of our reality. Uh, but as time goes on, as we read in Revelation, we're going to see uh, spiritual things get revealed and manifested physically and even visibly. Where we're going to begin to see, well, not us because we won't be here, but people on earth are going to begin to see spiritual things happen with their physical eyes. That the veil is going to be completely lifted during this time. And I believe we're even seeing that to some degree now in the weird things we see happen all over the earth. If it's not a drone, if it's not a, a, an aircraft, it's spiritual. It's not aliens, guys. It's demons, and we're seeing it happen. And again, I'm not saying that there's a little red guy and a horse riding around that people can see, but in the spiritual realm, absolutely, that is what is happening. He's going across the earth, and war follows right behind him. Is this World War Three? Could be. Could be World War Four. I don't know. But this one is going to encompass every last person on earth. World War II touched basically every continent on earth. There were bases in South America. There, you know, If it had gone on longer, it would have encompassed literally every continent. People would have gotten here. But it affected everyone on earth. But this is going to be more than that. It's going to be more than World War III. I believe there's going to be rampant murder like we've never seen before. There's going to be civil unrest to high heaven with civil wars and don't agree with someone, kill them. Genocides of all sorts. Again, as we'll see later, some other things that are revealed, there's a large possibility of this being nuclear war, at least in some limited engagements, some limited theaters, um, if not the whole world. 
And it's interesting because there's an old saying that says World War III will be fought with nuclear weapons, but the wars after that will be fought with sticks and stones. So we see that this rider goes out, brings war, brings death, brings violence of all sorts across the whole earth. There's not going to be any safe space for anyone during this time. Let's go on to five and six, the third seal. Verse five says, excuse me, <clears throat> when, he, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And so I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So we see this third seal is famine. Remember, the creature speaks in thunderous that this famine is serious. That this black horse is a rider with scales and balances. He's got, um, it's not justice, but it's scales and balances like you would use in a market. It's to figure out uh, money worth. It's to figure out how much of this is worth this much of this. And world war, especially in these last days, would cause widespread famine. We're so interdependent now that we depend on every other country in the world to get even our basic things like antibiotics and food. We were on rations and stuff in World War II because so many people were out fighting war and we needed to, to reorganize our economy to be able to fight this, let alone if we were dependent on other nations and couldn't get shipments and deliveries because there were warships or because ships were bombed and there was no uh, safety to get there. I mean, look at it now, even with uh, COVID and civil unrest, deliveries can't get through. Deliveries are delayed. Truckers won't go to certain spots because of it. But this would cause severe economic collapse. It would put the, 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 the depression, God bless you, to shame. The depression would look like a drop of water in the bucket compared to this. Again, the things that are happening are likely to continue if the world problems we have continue. But what we're seeing now is nothing compared to this. And a denarius, that was basically a day's wage. So I don't know how much money you make in a day, but I guarantee you during this economic depression, it wouldn't be much. And even with hyperinflation, we see, we've seen that happen in Africa and in Europe after World War II, where all of a sudden one day your money is worth something. The next day you have uh, wheelbarrows full of millions of dollars that aren't worth anything anymore. And hyperinflation is right around the corner if we keep spending ourselves into debt. But again, this will be far worse. That no matter how much you work during the day, no matter how hard you work, you'll get a loaf of bread. That's it. You got your daily bread for working and slaving away. And people even today are clamoring for universal basic income, more handouts, more bailouts. This is going to be worse. This is going to leverage the mark. You want your daily bread? Get the mark. Government will give you a loaf of bread every day. You're hungry? We'll, we'll feed you. And I'm old enough to remember the bread lines at the end of the Soviet Union. People lined up around the corner. And that was one of the most shocking things to me to see in South Korea a few months ago, as they were one of the first, uh, you know, obviously they're in the East, but they're one of the first, um, first world nations where I began to see bread lines because of the virus. And it's going to be far worse then. Severe famine. 
there won't be any bread. It's not that one nation doesn't have it. It's that no nations are going to have it. There's not going to be a storehouse somewhere. There's not going to be a warehouse somewhere. It's not just because of a storm and a truck couldn't get through. But we have to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6.11, Give us this day our daily bread. That we're supposed to rely on God for our daily needs, not any government. I'm glad that our government, uh, at least on the surface, wants to care about people. But know that any society that rejects the big G of God increasingly worships the little g of government. And they begin to expect the little g of government to meet their needs more and more instead of God meeting their needs through responsibility as well as providence. Because government will never meet your needs. Government always wants to feed itself and meet its own needs to keep itself in power. The, the good of the many for the sacrifice of the few, right? It will always enslave. It will always kill because it's a false god. It's an idol. I'm not saying that I'm an anarchist. What I'm saying is that government that is not under God is going to be something you don't want to be under. And I don't think we need to look very far to see that. But they say, do not harm the oil and the wine. We see that the expensive things, the rare things, the important things, the luxury things are hoarded. And I believe they become even completely unreachable to the masses. That there becomes a severe distance between the wealthy and the poor, even more so than today. Potential no middle class as we know it. You're either filthy rich or filthy poor. And this always happens with an oligarchy, with a ruling class, that the ruling class always exists to feed itself and everyone else pays for it. We see these communist, socialist, and globalist schemes, they always end up this way. The people in North Korea who have something, and it's still not much, are those who have been most loyal to the government. The poor exist to prop up the powerful, and only the ruling class has their needs met and extravagance while others go on in abject poverty. Is it petroleum? I don't necessarily think so, but just food for thought, because given our dependence on oil uh, and electric technology is just not able to meet our needs, I, I don't think it's ever really going to happen. Um, I have to wonder if there could be another correlation there, uh, you know, to keep what's left of the world economy going. And to recap, this world ruler comes in peace. He promises and wants to bring, or at least on the surface, stability to a shaken world. He wants to bring it so that he has the power. It's not for the good of people. It's for good of him. But what erupts? World War III, violence and murder everywhere. And what follows after this? Severe famine, economic depression, like the world has never seen. And we're going to look at one more seal for today, verses 7 and 8. It says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, so they all get to take a part in this, come and see. And remember, they're, they're in front of that crystal sea, right? Again, I'm stepping on a limb, but I feel like this crystal sea is somehow, perhaps is our reality. Perhaps it's a window into our reality of creation. And they're all around it and thrones around it. And the creature says, come and see and look at what happens when the seal is broken. Maybe I'm being too literal, but that's how my mind works. And he says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come and see. Verse eight. So I looked 
And behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. First time we see a name given to the rider. And Hades followed with them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And we're going to see the world population decimated over and over again throughout Revelation. This is the first big chunk that gets taken, and it's a quarter of the world. One out of every four people will die from these four seals being broken. And this is just the beginning. You know, certain powers and thinkers in the world are worried about overpopulation. And I always just say they've never driven across the country. <laughs> uh, but they're going to get it. The earth will never be overpopulated. will be severely underpopulated. And it's interesting, I think, that this is what happens in the end under the rule of Satan and sin, is because God commanded for us and every creature on the earth to be fruitful and to multiply. God wants more people on earth. God made the earth to fit us all. He loves us, but the enemy hates us and will do anything to kill us and to kill people. I mean, look at all the dictatorship, the godless dictators, the godless wars, etc. Genocides. You know who starts those? Communism in China, one child policy. I read, heard the other day. 470 million babies not born potentially because of it. And that's not counting the abortions, the infanticide, etc. Communism, where you can't worship God. You have to worship the state. And I won't talk about our own genocide here that's championed, tax-funded, under the banner of health and rights. But this horse is a pale horse. It's not pale because he doesn't go to the beach and get a tan. He's pale because it's green. It's like the corpses, white, death, pale, translucent, disgusting, sickly color. And again, death is riding on it. He's given a name that death itself is able to run free and do whatever death wants in this day. There's no limits on death during this time until we'll see later something very interesting a couple chapters from now. But what follows after death on this horse? Hell. Death and this horse are riding what behind it? Hell is following right behind him. Hades. And this is big. This is more than just death. This is spiritual death. Hell is like the street sweeper crew following after death as he mows down the earth. It's like the bag on your lawnmower picking up all the clippings. Except the clippings are souls. People are dying and being scooped up into there like cheap garbage. Hell has its heyday, and they are working together in tandem. And this is the enemy's ultimate desire for earth. People killed physically and in hell for eternity. He wants us dead. He wants us condemned. But thankfully, God doesn't. And that's why God is letting us read this now. That's why this has been in print across the world in hundreds of languages for thousands of years, because God does not want us to die and go to hell. Even the most wicked person, Hitler, God didn't want to go to hell. He would have to die, and he wouldn't have reward. But even for hell is so bad, so awful, God wouldn't even desire it for someone like Hitler. And a fourth of the earth will die. I looked up the current world population and the numbers I was going, so it's hard to copy and paste. Uh, I have the link here. Uh, you can just Google it. Um, but the current world population is just shy of 7.8 billion, if this number is to be believed. 
Uh, on average, there'll be around 160,000 births today. There'll be about 67,000 deaths today. Uh, uh, population growth today, there'll be about 92,000 more people. This year, uh, give some other numbers. But if the world population stopped right now growing, and a quarter were to die, that would be 1.95 billion. 1.95 billion. There's 330 million people in America. It'd be like all of America and probably all of China and some of India. I didn't do the numbers, but it would be a lot. And they're going to die from violence, from the sword, from these wars, from killing each other, from hunger, from the famine, from not having enough to eat. That's not a death I'd like. I don't like any death. Death from disease. The world system breaks down. People are dying because they're sick. Dying because of diseases that spread. Things that were preventable are not preventable anymore because they don't have medicine, they don't have hospitals. Let alone, I'm sure, new, new diseases that'll pop up in this time. Also from societal breakdown, but I think what's interesting to me in another sense is it says by beasts of the earth. I don't know how many people die by animals every year in America, but I'm sure the number is fairly small. It's too big, whatever it is, for the people who have lost someone, but it's fairly small. It's guys like Steve Irwin who are out playing around with wildlife and learning about them, teaches about them, they get killed by a wild animal. You and I know so much. But it's interesting that at this time in future history, there seems to be some sort of increase in death by animals. As funny as this sounds, I just want to touch on it because sometimes there's these little nuggets in here that you can gloss right over that are kind of interesting. Perhaps they're too hungry looking for food. We see now rats are coming more into the cities and they're eating each other because there's not a glut of trash in the city anymore because people aren't out because of the virus. But perhaps people don't have homes. They've been destroyed by war. They don't have the defenses the same way to keep us sheltered from animals and all that's going on. You know, we had some animals outside the other night. I think a bear or something keeps knocking over a trash. If our house was ruined, we'd be outside in a tent and, you know, it'd be far more likely that one of us got, got eaten by something. But we're safe in the house. But again, because this is a spiritual time with a spiritual rider and spiritual effects for everything, I think there's also a spiritual upheaval going on in the world. If we remember in Genesis, man was created to rule the earth diligently. We were given the title earth, rule over the earth like God rules over creation. But instead we turn the earth over to Satan and the sin. And now finally we've exalted Satan's man to be king on the earth in place of God's man, Jesus. So I have to think that the animals are somehow spiritually affected by this and beginning even in some small way. Uh, to revolt and to show that we don't have dominion like we're supposed to. Again, I'm reading into one tiny little verse very much, but I think it's quite interesting. But this is just the start, these four seals. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, plus many other things that we're going to look at together as our journey through Revelation that we're going to come and see. But this is just the first four. And again, only Jesus was worthy even to make just these four happen, to unleash these four things. But honestly, uh, it's what we've desired as people, whether we admit it or not. This is what we desire. When we reject God, this is what we're saying we want. When we reject the giver of life, the lover of our souls, what we're saying is we want the giver of death, the hater of our souls. You're either with God or you're against him. 
It may not seem that way on the surface. It may appear to be right and good, but at the heart, at the very root of it all, that's the difference. Life or death. Choose this day who you will serve, God says. And God's only giving sin its due. This is what's deserved. This is what is just for sin against the holy God. This is what happens when we reject Him. All hell breaks loose when we reject righteousness. When we turn our backs on the law and what's good, the only thing that can fill the vacuum is evil. It's been said the only thing uh, that a, an evil man needs to be successful is for a good man to do nothing. A good man can be successful without hurting anyone, apart from anyone else. An evil man can only be successful if the good don't stop him. And again, all of this was written, was shown, was given to us to see by God in the hopes that we repent while there's still time. For 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That we live in an age of grace from the time of the cross until the time of the rapture. When God says, I'm not going to judge you for your sin. I am not going to bring judgment on earth that deserves it. There's going to be consequence for your sin because that's just the rules of reality we live in. But I am here to forgive you and you can freely come at any time to accept me. I've torn the veil. I've made my word available. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin and you'll be saved. That's grace. But during this time as we're going to see, it's going to take more than that. In fact, the only real proof of your salvation in some sense is be willing to die for it. As we'll see the martyrs in the fifth seal next time. But know that now is the acceptable time. Now is the time. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it now. And that's what got me saved. Knowing that, man, when this begins to happen, I'm not ready. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to get the judgment of hell because I haven't turned to God. I know the truth of God. I knew the truth of God, but I haven't yet let him in my heart. I hadn't yet made him God in my life, my king. But he gave me time, and he's given us almost 17 years since then. Maybe 17 more, but it may not be. So if you're listening and you don't know Jesus, and you want to come to him, and you want to be spared the judgment, even if it's just so that you don't face judgment and you're not sure who God is yet, that's okay. Jesus is king, and pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe now that you're God and that you're good. I don't yet fully understand you or most of this, but I know that this is true. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Save me from my sin and the judgment that my sin deserves. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Bring me to heaven when it's time. And help me follow you until then. In Jesus' name. If you've prayed that, know that you have the assurance of heaven and of salvation. And this judgment isn't for you. This judgment is meant for the angels who fell. Hell is meant for them, not for you. Not for anyone. Unless they choose it. So God, help us to choose you every day of our lives. To never turn our back from you. To never turn and say, you weren't good. We didn't get our way. We went our own way. Help us never be like that. Forgive us where we are. Let your will be done on earth as in heaven. And come soon, we pray. 
and bring many souls to you before the judgment. We look forward to the days after the judgment too, when everything is made right. And we never have to worry about anything like this ever again. Thank you, God, for your grace and mercy. Bless all those who hear. As your word says, bless those who keep it and hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.